Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it. James chapter number two. And it's so good to see everyone here this morning. And uh, we're going to continue our study on what is genuine Christianity, genuine faith, an authentic, real faith. We've been studying the book of James. And as I've said almost every week, it is a book that is very practical. It's a book that uh, really challenges us on our faith to make it something that really impacts our life. And in fact, the, uh, the portion of scripture we're going to be studying today here in chapter 2, verse 14, really hits on that very hard. And so we're going to be learning about exactly how practical faith should be, how, how far should it go in our life. And so we're going to be studying that this morning. But just as a matter of introduction, let me just say this morning a key thought, and that is... All genuine faith can be proven by what it produces, okay? All genuine, real, authentic faith can be proven by what it produces. See, the Christian life is one that is constantly being tried, all right? We're constantly going to have our faith tested, but it's in consistently showing our faith that really makes it real and genuine. By living out that faith, by, by doing works that prove our faith, we pass the test, okay? The works don't give us faith, but they do prove our faith. And that's something that's so important as we're jumping into this passage of James chapter 2, verse 14, because it's a passage that has has been misinterpreted so many times over the years. And I'm talking about in church history. In fact, Martin Luther, who was the father of the Reformation, didn't like the book of James too much. He thought that it was uh, going against his, uh, his argument of uh, salvation is by faith alone. And let me just say that salvation is by faith alone. Uh, what Martin Luther wasn't really understanding in the book of James is that what James is talking about actually complements that faith that is in Christ alone, that justification that is found in faith uh, of Christ alone. This, what James is talking about, is, is what we would say the other side of the coin. All right, Paul was saying, listen, if you try to obey the law of God, the law of Moses, that's never going to bring you salvation. There was only one man that ever completed all of the law, and that man is Jesus Christ. And he died on the cross so that you could pay for your lack of being able to fulfill the law, of keeping and obeying all the commandments of God. And so he says, when you put your faith in what Jesus did for you, then you receive salvation, then you have justification. Okay, that's what Paul was talking about when it comes to faith and salvation. Now, James is saying, now listen, there's something also that is important to understand. If you've received that salvation by faith in Christ alone, there ought to be something that shows for it. There ought to be something that proves that really that's what you have believed. I think the best way to kind of illustrate this fact, and this is not the best illustration, but I'm going to take you back to probably high school for some of us here uh, and the beginning of physics class, all right? Uh, I don't know how many of y'all remember studying a guy by the name of Sir Isaac Newton. Does anybody at least or be familiar with that name? Okay. 
Uh, Sir Isaac Newton is known as like the father of physics. He was one that really, he was born in 1643, so it's just a long time ago. And uh, he was one that was really uh, instrumental in bringing about what we know about physics. And there are three laws that he determined as he was observing uh, about motion. And I love it because when you study these three laws of motion, you can see scripture. <laughs> it's crazy. Bible says in Romans chapter one, even the creation itself, all right, teaches us about God, about order, about things and truths of God's word. And, uh, and so I want to briefly touch up on these before we jump into what James is talking about, because it's going to help us to connect what, what, uh, what James is trying to teach, okay, about faith and works. All right. The first law that Sir Isaac Newton observed was he said, things that stay at rest or things that are at rest tend to stay at rest. And things that are in motion will stay in motion, right? So in other words, he said, man, if you get a ball and you roll it, it should keep rolling forever. Now, the reason that different, uh, why it would stop uh, if you had a bigger ball is because there's friction and inertia, and that's, we're not going to get into that. But if in a vacuum, in other words, if there was no friction, this thing would just keep moving, all right? Now, there's a principle there that we find that the Bible teaches when it comes to that. And that is that because of sin, we are in motion headed to a destination that we cannot change or, or avoid in any way. The Bible said the wages of sin is death. We are on a path and in a motion that is taking us to condemnation and destruction and separation from God completely. But let me tell you something else that Isaac discovered. And that was his second law of motion. The first one was things that are in motion will tend, they will stay in motion. But the second law says that there is a thing called force and force can stop motion. All right. Now, force, he said, was, if y'all remember this, it was mass times acceleration. And we're not, this is not a science class. I'm not going to go through all of that, okay? But basically, he defined force as a mass, something that has, you know, some material to it, and that has some speed that can stop the motion. So when the ball is rolling, and, I, and it's, I'll try to stop it over here so people can say, as it's rolling, my foot is force, okay? It's, it's got a mass to it, an acceleration, and I stomped on it, and the ball stopped. It stopped its motion, Okay, now that second law is important. You see another truth in the Bible that there was nothing that could change your direction except one thing, and that was the power of Jesus Christ. The, the gospel is the only thing that avoids, that, that helps us to get off the path we're on and puts us on a new path. That is the power of the gospel. That's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to those that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He's saying there's a force that will get you off this path that you're on because of sin, headed for destruction, and that force is the gospel. And that power will stop that place that you're going towards. But then he discovered a third law. And this is the one I want to talk about today. The third law is one that you've probably heard often. It is that for every action, there is an equal and opposite what? Reaction. Okay, some of y'all remember that from, from the class. It's uh, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. The third law of motion says 
right? If an object is going down, it hits a force, it's going to react. So if you have a ball and you throw it to the ground, the force of the ground will force it to react. There's an action going down. There's a reaction coming at making it go back up. That is the third law of motion that Isaac Newton discovered. And you say, what does that have to do with anything we're talking about, Pastor? It has everything to do with what we're talking about. Because that's exactly what faith does. This is the third truth that we can learn from these three laws of motion. And this is the one that James is talking about. He's saying, if there's an action in your life, like faith, that has come in, right, and changed, that force changed the direction you were going in, right, and that faith is something that was real in your life, then there ought to be a reaction. And the lack of any kind of reaction makes me wonder what kind of faith you have. Now, look at what James says, all right? Let's, let's just read it in James' words. He says in verse number 14, James chapter 2, verse number 14. He says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. But here's the first thing we're going to talk about this morning that James teaches about, and that is unprofitable faith. There is something called unprofitable faith. It's the first thing that James shares. He's been talking to us about, hey, faith shouldn't, should lead us away from favoritism and racism and prejudice. Uh, faith leads us away from that. Uh, faith ought to help us in our attitudes when going through trials in life and testings and difficulties. Faith has to do with that. And then he's coming to this, maybe the main point in the whole book, and is, is simply, listen, what I'm trying to say is that faith should have some sort of works that prove it. The works don't give us faith, but they certainly prove our faith. So the unprofitable faith that, G that James is talking about here is a faith that produces nothing. It's a faith that is professed, but then it goes no further. It's just something that is said. The unprofitable faith, listen, if you have your notes, unprofitable faith lacks any and all evidence of anything concrete. It is a faith that is all talk. It's just something that comes about by professing some belief. Now, if there's anything that we see in our world today, it's this kind of faith. Have you noticed you get on social media, everybody's a Christian. Everybody. No matter what they believe in, no matter what they practice in their life, Hey, at the end, we're all Christians. We're, on all, we're all on the same path. We're all on our way. I mean, hey, we are all Christians. And so here comes this great dilemma. Are we all Christians? How do we know if we all are Christians? Well, hey, we all proclaim that faith. We all say, we all believe. Hey, I believe there's a God. Hey, I believe. Yeah, 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 oh, absolutely, I believe there's a God. I believe, I, I have faith, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Then James would say, okay, 
You have the action, but where's the reaction? What is it that's going to prove if you really do believe that or not? You know, I, I tell this to our young people all the time. I, since I was a little child, probably seven, eight months, I don't know when I started crawling, but probably around there or, or a little bit later than that. But since that time, I know my parents have taught me, you don't put your fingers in the outlets in the wall. Right? Has anybody else taught their kids that or am I the only one that got taught that? Great. Everybody, nobody? nobody? Am I the only one? Okay, great. Can never get anyone to raise their hands. I know. It's, it's a fine. But we teach our kids that. I was taught that. And does anybody know why we don't put our fingers in outlets? Okay. The, you get electrocuted. If you, if you, there's current behind that, right? And so the danger is you put your fingers in there. There's current. You're going to get electrocuted. Okay? It's not going to be good. It doesn't feel good. You're not going to be happy. And there's going to be a big doctor's bill at the end that we don't want to pay. All right, so you don't do it for that reason. <clears throat> now, let me tell you something. And I'm going to be totally honest with you, okay? And you can ask, well, you're just going to have to take my word for it because nobody's been around me 24-7 other than me. But let me tell you, I have never, and you might not believe this, but I have never put my fingers in an outlet. I've been on this earth for 37 years. I've never done that. Never. Do you know why I've never done that? Because I really believe if I put my fingers in there, that that's going to happen. I've never done it. I can't tell you that. Oh, I've experienced that. And man, it is uncomfortable. Never experienced it. But I really believe that. I plug things in. I know there's current in these outlets. So I don't do it. Because I really believe that, I don't do that. That proves that I really believe that. By me not putting my fingers in those outlets is a proof that you really believe that there's current there, right? Yeah, I really do. And I would say to somebody that says, well, I don't, I would say, be my guest. I'd love to see someone do that. <laughs> Let's just prove our theories here. Let's go ahead and find out if it's true or not. You see... The work of doing that doesn't make me believe if it's going to do that or not. It's the fact that because I believe that, I, I'll avoid it. I won't actually do that action in my life. Because there's an action of belief, there's a reaction saying, I'm not putting my fingers in that. Now, James says this in verse 14. The unprofitable faith lacks any evidence of anything concrete other than, well, I'm just saying I am. I'm a Christian or I am saved. Okay, listen, any faith that stops after a mere profession is incapable of saving anyone because it's not real faith. Okay? I look at what, look at what Paul said in Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse number 8. He said, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God, their salvation, there's the force, might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So Paul was telling Titus, hey, the good works, it's good for your faith. It doesn't give you faith, but it does prove your faith. The proof, I, I remember my, my professor used to always say, that the proof is in the pudding. Anybody ever said that or heard that saying? I remember the first time I heard that I was in college and I'm like, pudding? I don't even like pudding. I mean, Maybe chocolate pudding, but I mean, vanilla is not that great. I mean, I never understood that until later when he would begin to explain it. 
And he was saying, what are you putting forth? I thought he was talking about P-U-D-D-I-N-G, right? Uh, pudding, but that's not what he was talking about. He's putting, what are you producing, in other words? What are you putting forth in your life? And that's exactly what James is saying here. He's saying unprofitable faith lacks any evidence. All it has is, well, I profess that. I mean, I, I, I believe that. And Paul says, well, where are the works behind it? If that's really what you believe, then can you prove that? Unprofitable faith lacks evidence, but it also lacks life-giving power. Okay, so James gives us that statement, right? How's it profitable? If there's, if there's an action, there ought to be a reaction. If there's no reaction, then what is it? So he said, let's, 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 let's take a real-world example. He said, what if there's a, a brother or sister, someone that you know, someone that you're close to, and they're destitute, they're hungry, they have no clothing. He says, they're the, the Greek word naked means literally no clothing, all right? Poor rags, not, nothing to cover them. And he's saying, and you see them, and here's what you say. You just say to them in verse 16, hey, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Now, that was a common Jewish saying, by the way, that, that James is sharing. He's saying that, that, that's what they would say. Hey, be warm. Let me, let me tell you something. If you look in, and I, I forgot to write it down. I think it's Mark chapter 5. Jesus uses that, those words. So these are words that even Jesus uses. Depart in peace, be warmed, and be filled. This is something that was common in the Jewish culture. Now, every time that, that Jesus used it, it was after a miracle. After meeting the need of someone, like, uh, you, you know, uh, if you remember um, many that, that were um, blind and he gave them sight, he would say, okay, now go in peace. You remember that, that lady that was caught in adultery and they were going to stone her and he said, hey, the first one that has no sin, go ahead and throw the first rock. Everybody leaves quietly. She's still there. And he says, hey, did no one condemn you? He said, no. And he said, I don't condemn you either. I forgive you. Now go. And do no more, depart in peace. Those are the words he says. So here's this person, okay, giving these words that even Jesus, it sounds so spiritual. It sounds so good, like, wow, what a great Christian to be able and sit to be, be, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But then James, James says, notwithstanding, you don't give him any clothing and you didn't give him any food. So what is a prophet? What kind of faith does that? See, James is saying, you have clothes that you could give them. You have food that you could feed them. But instead you say, eh, eh, go in peace. I, I hope, I hope you find clothes somewhere. Man, I really hope someone gives you some food, man. Because I know how it goes, man. Being starving, that, that's never fun. Good luck with that. James says, what kind of faith is that? That's unprofitable faith. In fact, we would say that is a faith that is dead. That is a faith that when you give an action, there's no reaction. And by the way, you could do that with dead people, right? If there's a dead corpse in front of you and you start punching it, it's not going to react. Then go, ah, 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 that hurt. 
You start pinching it. You start cutting it. It doesn't react at all because the corpse is dead. It has no feeling. You can hug it. You can, you can talk to it. It won't talk back to you. It won't react to you at all. We'd say that person is dead. It has no reaction. It has no movement. There's no life there. And James says, yeah, you know what? A lot of people that profess themselves to be Christians, that's what they do. They have this act of, oh, yes, and they even talk real spiritual. But when there's action, there's no reaction. When there's a need, they don't meet the need. They just say, depart. Oh, depart in peace. Be warm and filled. So what kind of faith? <laughs> what does that do? What does that change? What is? Listen, I'm for as many people that can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I'm for them. I, I, I'm for it when I see a, on, on, on Facebook a celebrity say, man, I, I got saved or I had an encounter with God and I, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Man, I am all for that. The problem is five years later, if they're still living the same kind of lifestyle that is against what God's Word teaches, I, I start wondering, is that real faith? Because James says if there's an action of faith, there ought to be a reaction of works. But nothing has changed. All that has changed is a label that they put on themselves saying, well, now I'm Christian. I identify as Christian. Listen, that's as absurd as someone that is born a boy that says, I identify as a girl. That's great. You're not. You're a guy. You're a boy. You're born that way. God made you that way. Yeah, but I'm identified. It, it, it doesn't matter. That's not... And listen, a faith that has no reaction is the same way. It's dead. It's meaningless. It's purposeless. It's unprofitable faith. Then James says in verse number 18, and he kind of changes. He says, now that's what unprofitable faith is. Let me talk to you about what unmistaking or unmistakable faith is. Unmistakable faith. Unmistakable faith is a faith that is real. It is a faith that is more than just words. It's a faith that says more than just, hey, good luck with that. I'll be praying for you. I hope you're okay. No, it's a faith that says, man, I can, I can do something about their situation. There's something that I can give. There's something I can be. See, unmistakable faith is proven by what it does. It's proven by what it does. There's no confusing this faith with anything that is fake or dead. Now, the way that James illustrates this, look at verse number 18. He, he lets us in on this debate that's going on. And he says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, okay, you're saying you've got faith. That's great. That's great. Now, show me your faith without any works. Someone would say, well, how can I prove that without it? Exactly. You want to say, oh man, I'm a Christian. I believe God, but you don't want to live for God. You don't want to follow God. You want to give your life to God, but yet you want to say, I'm God's. James says, no, you're not. No, you're not. 
That's why James, uh, the, the other man that's, that's debating here is saying, yeah, I have works. And let me tell you that I believe that I am God's. And because I believe that I am God's, I come to his house. I worship him. I love others. I sing to him. I give to him. I work and I try to do all that I can for him. Not so he'll save me. He already saved me. It's the works that prove I believe he saved me. I believe he changed me. I'm not the same person anymore. There's a faith that's real here. This is why I don't cheat on my wife. Because listen, I believe what the Bible says of being faithful. Uh, Listen, this is why I forgive those who have wronged me. I'm not going to go and gossip around them and about them. Why? Because the Bible says, forgive them. Because faith is real. It ought to have a reaction if it's an actual action in your life. Faith is not dead. It's the very opposite of dead. The very opposite. And James says this, an unmistakable faith is a faith that can be proven by the work we are doing. Look in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 11. I love this. As Paul is talking about this same thing. Action and reaction. Not just talking about faith, but living faith. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, listen to this, zealous of good works. That means desiring to do good works. That's what the grace of God teaches us to do. Now, if you and I say, I believe that God saved me, I believe that I was and I deserve hell, and now you find that God has saved you and changed your direction, and by the gospel and the power of the gospel has given you new life, then you ought to be zealous to work for him. It ought to be a reaction that says, yeah, that's as natural as a ball bouncing. It's just the laws of motion that make that happen. It's just the law of faith that says, if I have a real genuine faith, works will follow. Notice what James says in verse number 19 and verse number 20. He says, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. But the devils also believe and tremble. Can I say real faith goes beyond a mental understanding. Unmistakable faith goes beyond just a mental understanding. He's saying, man, you believe that there's God. Oh yeah, I believe that there's God. No, no, I'm a Christian. Man, that's great. You've made it to the level of a demon. Congratulations. Even the devils get that far. But they have an unprofitable faith for this reason. They know, Listen, every demon that is alive knows that Jesus died on the cross. What they don't believe is that he died for their sin. Every demon believes that the, the, the power of God is, is unbelievable, but they, they don't believe it's for them. Their faith doesn't take them that far. Their faith takes them to say, man, God is powerful. You ought to be afraid of him. You ought to fear. You ought to tremble. When God says to do something, we do it. 
Over and over you read in the Gospels when Jesus was facing demons, get out of that woman. They'd get out. Remember the man of Gadara when he had a thousand demons living in him and Jesus sent them to the pigs. They know the power of, 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 of God. They know the power that Christ has. But they don't believe it enough for anything in their life. That's why James says, I can't be so impressed that you call yourself a Christian. I'm glad that you're calling yourself and professing a Christian. That's a great action. But let me ask you something. Where's the reaction? Where's the works that go with what you're saying? If I can be frank and honest, the church in our society has lost a lot of its influence because we've lost any type of reaction of faith. I won't forget that example that I read about of some preacher that was arguing before Congress. We need to get the prayer in our schools. We need to let God back into our schools. And the senator simply said, uh, can I ask you something, preacher? Did you pray with your family this morning before coming? I mean, let me ask you, if you really, really, really believe in prayer, did you even practice it? Is there any kind of reaction to that? Or is it just something we want to fight for to fight, but not practice? James says, well, that's a dead faith. Even demons can assent to a truth that, yeah, God does exist, but that's as far as it goes. And that's why he says in verse 20, but will thou know, O vain man, and the word vain there can be uh, empty or foolish. He says that faith without works is dead. It's dead. Faith without works is dead. Those demons that believe there's God have an unprofitable faith. And James is simply saying, hey, have an unmistakable faith. So how do I have an unmistakable faith? By the works, by the reaction of what your faith leads you to do. If your faith isn't leading you to live a life that is consecrated to God, I would say that's a dead faith. I'd say, I wonder if you really do believe what you say you believe. I wonder if you really, really do think that God owns you or does he not? Because our faith should be as clear as possible to others. Not just a mental understanding. No, no, no. I'm, sorry. I'm talking about something real. Some, something that others see and feel and know and experience. That's a man of faith. I love Tony Evans' illustration on this. He says, what does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? He says, well, if I'm on a luxury liner that is sinking, I should want to get off of the luxury liner and get to safety. But if the crew calls out to me and says, the liner is sinking, get in the lifeboat so you'll be safe from drowning in the ocean, that's good news in the middle of a bad situation, right? And that's what the, the gospel message does. It's good news in a bad situation. But if I decide to say, well, I'm not going to get in the lifeboat. I'm going to take my chances with this luxury, uh, luxury liner. I mean, look how big this boat is. I mean, by the time it sinks, I mean... I'd probably be uh, old and gone by then. I mean, I won't even see it go down. If you make that decision, if you're 
turning away from that, from the lifeboat, turning away from what the crew is trying to tell you to do, then you'll find that there is no other way. You are going to drown. You're choosing to reject what you know. Now, there may be another person who says, well, if the captain said to get in a lifeboat, I'm going to get in a lifeboat, believing that in the Bible, it's not merely accepting information. It's, it's you know, just believing more than just, oh, what the captain's word. No, it's something else. It's entrusting yourself to the information that you say you accept. In other words, there is no belief until I get into the lifeboat. And that's the reality. That luxury liner, they're telling you it's going down, it's going to sink. And you might say, no, I believe it's going to. I can see the water rising over there. And you can say, I believe that. Yes, I believe that. But really, you don't believe it until you get in the lifeboat. Then that really proves that you really believe that. Faith that doesn't have that is the same thing. It's dead. It's doomed. It'll take you nowhere and you'll experience nothing. Nothing but destruction if you're on a luxury liner. But the Christian life is so much more serious than that. James says, don't have unprofitable faith, have unmistakable faith. Let me ask you a few questions as we think about this point. Can I ask you, what actions proved your faith when it comes to your marriage just in this past week? Or when it comes to your family? What actions proved your faith in what God teaches in your life at work? How did you show your coworker that, yeah, I am a Christian? How about your neighbor? Is the neighbor under the impression that you're a Christian just because you told him you are? Or have you showed him? I mean, do they really believe there's something different about you? Or do they not? James says that's the difference between unprofitable faith and unmistakable faith. And today you and I, we're in one of those two categories. Either this morning we're living a faith that is unprofitable or we're living a faith that's unmistakable. Just like this morning, either you're alive right now or you're dead. You're not in between. You can't be both. Dead tired is just an expression. Either you're alive or you're dead. Either your faith is something real that has some works to prove it or it doesn't. Listen, we don't have time this week. Next week, we're going to talk about a life, two examples of lives that did that. Life of Abraham and the life of Rahab. I hope, uh, well, actually not next week, in a couple weeks because we have a special speaker next week. But I hope you'll be here as we continue to to see someone that actually lived this out. The difference between unmistakable faith and unprofitable faith. The challenge this morning is very simple. I can't believe it's 12.06 and I'm done. It's easy. And it's this. I want to challenge you. Live an unmistakable faith this week. Make your faith mean something. It ought to move you to do something, to feel something. Jeremiah said, man, mine eye affecteth my heart. 
When I believe what God says about where our world is going, it all affects me. Because I believe that that's exactly what the Bible says. When somebody is distrusting or not treating me the way I feel like I should be treated in this week or disrespecting me. The scripture said, I'll love them. And if you really believe that, then you'll love them. You're not going to hold on to it. You're not going to sit here and say, well, we'll see. When I get my opportunity, I'll show them. No, that's unprofitable. The faith is dead. Live one that's real. A real faith will take you and kick the bad habits in your life. It'll kick sin out of your life. You'll stop lying. You'll stop cheating. You'll stop dishonoring the name of God. You'll stop using your mouth for blaspheming to something of blessing others. Unmistakable faith. Let's live that this week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word and for your truth. The message this morning has been direct. Father, you've spoken in a manner that is clear. And now it's our decision to react in a way that would honor and glorify you. Because, Father, what you've taught us today in your word goes way more than, and way beyond just understanding that truth. But it's a challenge to go and live that truth. And so I pray that this morning you would help us too to have a faith that is alive and real and authentic. That when we see people in need, we wouldn't just say, good luck. But that, Father, we would be moved to do something. You know, when we read in your word that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, oh, Father, that that would move us to understand we ought to live with this body in a way that honors and glorifies you. Father, I pray that as a church and as a people, we would live an unmistakable faith. That we would honor and glorify you that there would be a reaction to the action of our faith. So I pray that you would work in our hearts and work in our lives. Do this in a way that only you can, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.